0: Once again, we are led in with a majestic tune, but there has been nothing majestic about watching your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. Here to break it down is Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the player's podcast. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by a uh, a somewhat positive this evening, oddly enough, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. Anthony, a lot to break down here. You and I, if nothing else, it's been fun to be down there together at the Wells Fargo Center covering this team. But the on ice product has been pretty much anything but fun to watch before we get into it and break all the action down. How are you feeling this evening?
1: Well, the reason I'm in a positive mood, Russ, is because we recorded at a reasonable hour. I say this all the time. As long as we're recording at a reasonable time and it's um, it's 8.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, so this is, you know, we're all we're both still awake. I mean, you're getting close to your bedtime and, you know, I, I have a few hours yet before I start to nod off. And uh, so, yeah, I'm usually in a good mood. It's when you catch me late at night or at the crack of dawn that I'm, you know, curmudgeonly. Um, that, that said, uh, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be pleasant in describing what's been going on with the hockey team. Um, I think that uh, we might have, uh, you know, we're not going, we're not going scorched earth (laughs) here just yet. I mean, they are four and five. um, So it's not like they're, you know, one and eight. Um, But at the same time, it's, it's just the same old, same old. Nothing has changed with this team. Um, and we get the same excuses. Although I will say, and we'll get into this a little bit tonight, I'm really starting to like the reactions that we're getting from Dave Haxtall after losses. I never thought I'd say that because I think that the guy up until this season has been just awful <laughs> just in, in talking about what went wrong with the team. And, uh, uh, I think so far this season, we've gotten m- some really good answers from him. Um, I know I've personally gotten good answers from him to questions I've asked. Um, and, you know, I, I really feel like that, you know, he's starting, I think he's starting to recognize that this needs to change or he's on a hot seat. Um, I, 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 I don't know any, I think that you know if I'm, I'm going to be amateur psychologist here for a second, I want you to be amateur psychologist too with me. okay it, it, you know when you, when you feel pressure at your job and you feel like you've been doing your job well, you get a little defensive, right? You get a little bit more willing to say, "Well, gee, this is what's going on around me," kind of thing. and he has never been a guy. To call out his players. And yet, after the game against Colorado on Monday night, um, he identified two players, not by name, but specific situations. So it was easy for us to figure out who he was talking about. And in the instances he was talking about were Jordan Wheel uh, taking a bad penalty and Sean Couturier not um, uh, being too far away from the play, not playing the way he's supposed to play defensively on a play. Um, he identifies these players in in within situations and basically says, "Yeah, this is why this is this is where things are going wrong." And to me, that's that screams of a guy who's starting to feel the heat.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I, I so sitting down there and and getting kind of used to the the whole jam to uh, put it in lobby terms. Who, uh, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go find the uh, the video of former Flyers <laughs> coach Peter Laviolette going out meeting the the uh, media with a a bull's mask on. It was Fantastic. incredible, like full full on full head of a bull. It was It was awesome. Uh, anyway, I I kind of miss him. Um, you're you're right. Like Haxall, I think has opened up a lot to the media. I know he caught a little bit of flack because. Uh, Leading into the season, there were some stories about him wakeboarding, I guess, to make him more relatable. I feel like we're coming down the uh, the final stretch of a political campaign and all of a sudden we're finding out what uh, what Hackstall and crew like to do in their free time and as like a last ditch effort to try to get the fans to like him. But I will argue that while I think you've gotten some good responses, I think a couple of the other people down there have have gotten like, a you know, they've been able to kind of pull back some of the layers of this onion I, I was saying on the elevator going back up to the press box afterwards that the the thing that I keep taking away from this is it's felt like every single post game press conference we've had with him it ends with well uh you know I think we we played a real good hockey game out there tonight and uh you know first period didn't go our way but the uh the second and the third period you know I thought we played a real real solid hockey game there so uh you know i'm I'm not too, uh, not too upset with the way that the guys played. I think they played a good game. And it's just like rinse-repeat. Like, it's it's as if there's this robotic kind of rehearsed shtick that he just kind of defaults into. But then, like, you manage to get something out of him, and, like, you're getting that, that human element out of him, which is good. I just, I, I, I find this, like, cognitive disconnect between what's actually happening on the ice and the way that he kind of seems to, to default back to this, well, we played a good hockey game. Like, no, n- not really. Not at home. Well, there yeah, haven't been that many great efforts. There have been stretches of solid play, but like, this yeah, team there's... has gotten blown out on home ice multiple times to start the season. It's yeah. not. It's not good. And the and the PK, which we'll get into later, is is currently at a historically bad like percentage. So no, like things aren't all hunky dory.
1: Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure that he's. Saying that specifically, I think what he's trying to say is if you look at these games, it's not like we're playing poorly. I mean, the San Jose game aside,
0: they played they played like crap in that game. And they actually the Colorado game. I didn't think was uh, was the greatest ever. I didn't have high expectations going in.
1: No, but you know, you know why he's going to say it was a good game. And again, this is this this will appease the analytics types Um they did. They did have better puck possession. I think they led in Corsi. Um, they did have more shots on goal. Um, I, I think that the Flyers' problem is twofold in that regard, though, because they've had a number of games where their where their uh, advanced stats are not bad, and they've lost the games. Um, but they get their they get too many shots blocked. A so they're not getting. Good shots. They're not creating good enough shots because if you're getting that many shots blocked, I mean they had 27 blocked by the Devils on Saturday, even they even though they won that game, and I think it was another 21 or 22 that were blocked by Colorado. That's a lot of shots that are getting blocked. Okay, that's not even shots that are missing the net entirely. Those are ones that you're taking and people are getting in front of. So it's not maybe they're not being taken at the right time, um, but they also really don't get to the front of the net. They really. You would think that with a guy like Wayne Simmons, that they would have a lot of luck into the front of the net. Now, I know they're missing James Van Riemsdyk, and he's a guy that technically would get to the front of the net, and so that's certainly an element that's missing with him not in the lineup. But I don't think he makes enough of a difference to switch these losses to wins. Uh, I think this team is probably still four and five. Maybe, maybe they get one of, of these games to overtime and maybe get an extra point out of it. Who knows? But I still think they're four and five, even with Van Riemsdyk in the lineup, because of the way they're playing defensively. Um, so in that, now I know I just you know switched gears on you there real fast. But so you know they're getting. I think what he's trying to say is we're doing okay. We're playing the style of game that we want to play. For significant, significant stretches, I thought the Colorado game, they were the better puck possession team the entire second period, and then for most of the third period, and they still, you know, they still got behind 2 nothing, 3 nothing. they got one goal to get it to 3-1, but they never got closer. Hackstall today. Here's a great quote from him. And again, I this is this is this is tells me that this is a guy who's recognizing the gravity of the situation. And and I'll get into what I think this all means. Hacked today. We're game under 500. Boy, that's mediocre at best. Now you have to back away and really look at the performances and evaluate the performances of your team. But I think if we want to be honest with ourselves, the performance of our team equals our record right now. I like
0: that. How you like I like mean, that. It's,
1: so, what it's, is he doing there?
0: Well, I mean, it's quasi-transparent. I mean, it's showing that at least he is recognizing what what the media has been writing, what the fans have been saying. But what is he? But
1: here's what my thing is: he's throwing this on the players. Yeah, he's basically said, "I've harped on this for three years. I've implemented a system that should work. You see it work for stretches of the game." And they can't get it right. That's basically what he's saying. If we're going to if we're going to internal monologue here, that's what Dave Haxtell is saying. He's saying that they can't get it right. If we want to be honest with ourselves, our perfor- the performance of our team equals our record right now. You have to look at the performances and evaluate the performances. And the performance of our team equals our record. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty damning. Yeah, yeah, and to me, that's something he would never have said in his previous three seasons. He never would have thrown that out there like that. So to me, that is the coach saying, and I've, I've been there with this, okay? I'll take you back, all right? This is, the, the, the they got off to in the um, the 06, 7 season, which was the worst season in the Flyers history. They got off to a, I think they were a one six and one start, um, but before that last loss, they were in. Um, they had gotten blown out by Buffalo. I think it was eight to one or something ridiculous like that, nine to one. And then we flew to Florida and we had back to back games, Tampa and and Florida. They were on back to back nights, but we had a day off first in Tampa. So there's a practice in Tampa, and Ken Hitchcock's the coach and. Um, that morning, uh, we had talked—or no, I'm sorry—the night before we had talked to Ed Snyder, and Snyder said, gave, put out a quote: "the the whole damn team stinks." Uh, he was ripping. He was ripping the team as he was wont to do, and so we all—you know—we wrote it and we put it out. Um, and uh, so that after practice, Hitchcock calls the entire press corps, which was five or six beat writers at the time. Um, into his road office, whatever, like the office uh, for the visiting team in Tampa's stadium, and proceeds to do this, basically what Haxtell did. And he kind of threw it uh, uh, on um, Bob Clark, who was general manager at the time, but saying, look at the players that this that he gave us. They can't play. This is what they're doing. We're uh, You guys know me. I've had success in this league. I've won a Stanley cup and look at the dreck that I have to work with. And I, they just cannot play. They can't do it. So two days later, both hacks, uh, both, um, uh, Hitchcock and, um, uh, and Bob Clark, well, Hitchcock is fired and Bob Clark quote unquote resigns as the general manager. And that's when we got, uh, Paul Holmgren as the new GM. Um, but, uh, you can see like this is what the coach coach was doing. He was basically throwing his hands up saying I can't do anything more with these people. And I'm starting to get a little sense that that we're getting that from Dave Hackstall because I think he's starting to recognize it. And another one final thing I want to throw in this into this theory that I have and then I'll, I'll let you respond. As we were walking to the press con, or to the uh, post game uh, after the Colorado loss. You and I walk by uh, Ron Hextall talking to Bob Clark. Yep, and it was Bob Clark who does not come to very many games anymore. He's still a senior advisor for the team. Um, he's mostly in Florida most of the time, but he comes up and he was at the game. Um, uh, it's funny, like we were talking during intermission. We were talking with his daughter for a hot second because um, she brought the grandkids out to to see uh, to see her dad. And, um, and uh, in, in, you know, when he's there, he's not there just because he's decided to come into town and, you know, oh, let me check in on the flyers. He's there to offer advice and an opinion. And that conversation between him and Hextall did not look like a fun conversation. Um, he did pat he- Hexy on the shoulder and say, I'll see you in a couple weeks as we walked by. But that tells me that there's even more there. Like, they're trying to figure it out. This team is internally trying to identify what the hell is wrong and who's got to who's gotta fall for it. And, you know, the players have to realize at this point it's, it's time to get it right or something's going to happen. Either somebody's going to get traded or the coach is going to get fired or something is going to happen to make a change if something doesn't get better here in, over the next handful of games.
0: There are so many moving pieces in what you said. Uh, trying to go back and address them, I, I guess, in go order ahead. is uh, is going to be tough, but but let's try. So the the concept that Hackstall is now kind of putting it on the players is interesting. I, I, I do agree with that because to me, he's a guy who's been buttoned up. I wouldn't say that that the way that he approaches press conferences is Gabe Kapler-esque um, because I don't think he tries to sound like the smartest guy in the room, which Kapler does try to do. Um, but I, I, I do think that kind of putting it on the players is an interesting tactic. Now, the the latter point that you made where you kind of implied that, you know, maybe this is him kind of publicly saying, I don't have the right guys here to make this work. Uh, at least that's how I interpreted it uh, that last part. It would be interesting and it would certainly get away from that kind of all things are, are peaches and cream between Hackstall and Hextall. You know, ha- Hextall at any given moment, anytime he's given the opportunity to to put a little bit of pressure on Hack. He never has. He constantly reiterates his support for him. He, you know, goes out of his way to make it sound like he thinks that long term, this is the guy who's going to bring a Stanley Cup back to Philadelphia. So the idea that, you know, Hackstall might in some way be publicly challenging his GM to to fix this is an interesting point. And and I kind of come back to, well, what do we have in the minors right now that's going to be able to come in and fill this? Now, look, the team's had plenty of injuries. I mean, like, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out the fact that JVR has been out and will continue to be out for a few more weeks. Uh, Nolan Patrick was out for a, a week since we last recorded. They've had injuries. I mean, we've said all the way through training camp that, like, Andrew McDonald coming back doesn't seem right. It, he he came back well before he was supposed to. And I think we've, we've said multiple times, McDonald never really looked right. I mean, he's been a healthy scratch for – well, healthy in quotes – scratch for uh christian follen and and like follen's not <laughs> nothing to shake a stick at like if if anything like i have to think that doesn't hextall go to hextall at some point and say look the the defense has been an absolute train wreck and when you're giving me an injured andrew mcdonald to work with or a you know absolute trash player no offense but like a a subpar a, a mediocre at best christian follen who can go out and have you know, solid game, and then the next time falls on his face just trying to skate the puck up the ice. I mean, watch out, ice is slippery, newsflash. Like, does he start to think, man, like, maybe this would have been a better situation to have a Phil Myers? Now, Phil Myers is obviously still going to make mistakes, but, like, if your options in this situation, and this is where I come back to the problems I had last year, I think last year was the year to really, you know, bring up a few more of these young kids and get them seasoning last year and get them used to the NHL because we're kind of seeing that the team has such a... I don't know it's 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 a lack of overall talent defensively. Like you can mix up the pairs all you want, but like it's putting lipstick on a pig. I mean like and Sandheim hasn't been bad. Like I think statistically it's worked out where it's been okay. But Pro- you know, key, what, you, Pro- know what, you know, know what, you know, know Ghost- what that is? You know why what? that
1: is though? I'll just real quick. The reason that they've been as good and I, I'm not trying to knock them, but the reason that they've been as good as they've been is if you really look at the deployment um Hackstall has do- actually done a nice job of keeping them away from the other team's top line. Which I, is fine. I, like, I mean, he, and it kind of should, fine. because
0: when they broke up ghost and, and Provy, like that's, I think something that, you know, you'd want to have one of those guys, whichever pair they're on, you'd want them up against the top two lines. Right. So yeah, you're right. There's, there's no disputing it. Um, but those guys have graded out well, and I think their games kind of complement each other pretty well. Um, But having to break up Provorov and Despair has been, you know, I think a a long time coming this season. Provorov has not looked the same. I mean, something looks off. And I I can't put my finger on what it is exactly. Like, you wonder if he caught a knock in in practice at some point and he's fighting through it. But he doesn't look like the same player. Now, maybe it was was the traditional Philadelphia Flyers fan base goes and, and puts unrealistic expectations on the kid. But I I don't necessarily think that's what this is. Um, He doesn't look right. Now, Ghost has kind of had some up and down games. They had to break that top pairing up. And like, I I don't care which way you you make this thing try to work. But like, you don't have enough talent there. And this comes back to the conversation that we had in the summer. Eric Carlson was out there for the taking. He was out there to acquire. And God, does this team look different if if Eric Carlson is on it. Even like somebody who's like a... A second pair of defensemen just to come in and, and give a little bit of depth. They just don't have it right now, and and I think that to me is the most damning thing is that between Hextall and Hextall, these play these personnel decisions were made, and and they don't have it. I mean that doesn't even get to what the fourth line is and the fact that like Dale, Dale Weeson and Yori Laterra. Although Laterra's played better than I think we expected him to. Like so those is guys, are, those those guys. No, I was saying both of those guys. Yeah. They, they, like they've been playing better but like realistically on on any other roster are these guys even on the big club like i'm not so sure well i mean maybe. So it, it's just like it, it was like curious personnel decisions that happened this off season and they're kind of rearing their heads here and i don't know why anybody's surprised you know I, <laughs> we'll get to the other guy in a little bit but like you know this is why we keep coming back around to this was not the season to bring up carter hart and you know he's he's faced his own challenges down in the minors that we'll get to but like I feel like this year might be the last one that you can get away with trying to bring up some of these young players and get them actual NHL experience. Because right now, if if the choice is to go through the season and try to plug holes with lower quality vets in an effort to try to make the playoffs, like that to me isn't worth it. I'd rather these young kids get experience and crunch time. I feel like this is... What happened last night with the Sixers with Markel Fultz against the Pistons? Like, you had the opportunity to get him crunch time minutes. You chose not to. You put in TJ McConnell, who you know is, like, a decent professional player. And maybe he gives you a better chance to win, but you know what he is. We know what Christian Fulham is. We know what Andrew McDonald is. We know what Radko Gudis is. And quite frankly, we know what Yori Luterra and Dale Wieser are. And, and, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of done. I'm over it.
1: Yeah, I, I I still, you know, I I this is where I disagree with you because I I understand the whole concept of developing players. I mean, everybody's like, "Oh, put the young kids in, put the young kids in." It hockey is like baseball. It's not like football and basketball. These it, you don't just come straight from college and start playing the pro ranks. Um it just is not that way. It, you absolutely need that development time. Yes, there are exceptions to that rule you know guys who get drafted number one or number two overall and they you know they're the they're going to make the team as an 18 year old because they're you know an elite talent like that sure fine but the guys further down um need more time need more seasoning now i think that the greatest problem with development and I don't want to get into this this is not a a topic here but the greatest problem with development for um, hockey players is the fact that a lot of them that are in the CHL Canadian Hockey League um, uh, which is the OHL uh, the Q and uh, Western Hockey League um, those three leagues are the are the CHL Um, those kids have to go back there until they're 20 years old unless they're making the NHL roster. And more often times than not, they would benefit so much more in their age, 18, 19 seasons, to be playing in the AHL. And it would make, you would then get the younger kid, like what the fans call for. We want to see these young players. They would then be able to play in the NHL at the age that you want to see them at. Um, but what ends up happening is is that, that the CHL has this longstanding rule that, uh, you know, and again, it's for their own financial gain um, for their teams, that if the players are not being used in the NHL, they have to go back to the CHL. They cannot go to the AHL. And that's that's the problem. So what ends up happening is, is these kids continue to play against, in their age 19 and age 20 seasons, they're playing against... Um, Sixteen-year-olds in in a lot of cases, and they're of course they're better than them. Of course they're going to put up great numbers in in junior, and everybody's going to think, "Oh my God, yeah, look at how good that guy's playing. Why isn't he in the NHL? This is ridiculous." They're playing these veteran guys, and it's I'm telling you, there needs to be a development time, and all of these players that you want to see. I'll will t- tell you right now, and it's interesting. Um, Michael Vorobiev is going to get. Looks like he's going to get back into the lineup. Uh, uh, tomorrow in Boston, Thursday in Boston. Um, after
0: three straight scratches, yeah. After it, starting, and, after starting the season
1: as the three C, and I don't get it. They're putting him back in three C, and they're and I'm like, well, all right. Well, I guess they're taking Jordan Wheel out. I guess he's pissed at Wheel because of the penalties. Well, no, yeah, they're moving. Well, they're not taking Wheel out. They're moving Wheel to the wing. Great on the, on the third line. Um, so I I think what ends up happening is is that. Um, so, you know, somebody else is going to play that fourth-line role, and it very well might be Oscar, Oscar Lindblom, I think, might actually be down there. Because um, I think Lawton's played well enough to probably get that second those second-line minutes with Patrick and and Voracek. I don't think you're going to stunt Lawton um, just to get Vorobiev back in the lineup. So I, I don't understand it. I, like, to me, I think he's a guy that couldn't use a little bit more time in the AHL. <laughs> just I just do and I would not be surprised if at some point he goes back down there because there's some guys down there who are playing good hockey at the AHL level who you might sit there and say, yeah, this guy could do better in the uh, in the NHL than what we're getting from Michael Froobiev. But um so that's where I that's why I'm I'm okay. Um now look, if if Yuri Latera and Dale Weiss were playing terrible, which they're not. Right. You know what I'm saying? If they were playing awful like like they were last year, um. Then I would. Then I would kind of agree with you. Be like, look, you can't get worse. That <laughs> right? They're bad. So if they're if they're bad players, and they're not playing well, then it cannot get worse to use the younger younger players. But the fact that they're doing a good job, I'm okay with keeping them in to try and you know win. It's only they're only nine games into the season. This should be a playoff team. Now I don't think it's in a a top-end playoff team, but it should be a playoff team in this conference, and it's not right now. And, and and a lot of this doesn't necessarily fall on the young kids or the veterans who are playing, like, fourth-line roles. The mistakes that are being made are being made by guys higher up the lineup.
0: Well, Giroux had that one play where he, uh, he failed to – what was it? It was off a face-off. It was an offensive zone face-off. Uh, at the blue, right? and he got the puck out at the blue line. He whiffed on a shot, Igor, a play in, and it got picked. Goes right down the ice, and it's a breakaway goal, and Ellie gets beat, Um, what was it, six-side high. I mean, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's it's just been a constant stream of, of poor play, uh, poor decisions. Now, the one thing that I will say is, you know, I said before that, like, Ghost has kind of had an up-and-down season. I think Ghost... And uh, and Nolan Patrick maybe should be commended after the last game. I thought they had a few good stretches against Colorado where they were keeping the puck in the zone, especially in like the latter stages of the second period. And and definitely in the third period, those guys were all over the ice trying to uh, to keep it in. But they've had up and down seasons. I mean, we said Patrick's had an injury. Ghost has, you know, been all around with different defensive pairs. I don't know, man, like it's going down and, and seeing the apathy that I think that's already set in with the fan base is disheartening uh like we've talked in the past about the fact that like the the ticket issue and and the way that tickets are sold and the price of tickets that place has not been full yet i mean i i would say that the the highest percentage of people we've seen is what maybe 80 the lower bowl the lower bowl is is patchy the upper level oddly enough i i feel like is more full well the, but the one thing i will, are cheaper, the, but the like, one
1: thing the one thing you got to be careful with when you say that and it's it may look 80% full or eighty-five percent full, but a lot of those tickets are sold. They're owned by companies, and they just you know nobody's coming.
0: Okay, so uh, let me rephrase that. Yeah, eighty the, to eighty-five percent of the seats are being occupied by a human being. Yeah, which yeah. means that ten to fifteen percent of that home ice advantage don't exist, and that to me is part of the problem. You know, like the the Flyers haven't given much for the fans to cheer for, right? In, in any home game this year, right? I mean, against Vegas, it was a Mark Andre Fleury show. They could get nothing going whatsoever. Uh, against San Jose, it was an absolute disgrace from the bat. the The only good thing that happened in the San Jose game was Gritty coming out of the Raptors. Like, let's be <laughs> honest. And and you can even argue that that Gritty was the best part of the Colorado game, whether it was tackling the people in the sumo costumes in between uh, in between plays, or the fact that Gritty was the star on the T shirt giveaway on a on, on, at that game. Like, Gritty has ended up being the MVP of two games, right? And so, I don't know. I, I, I'm finding myself, I guess I have to switch up the role and switch up the way that I kind of approach these games because usually I come at it from a fan's perspective. And then uh, it was the home opener. Frank Saravalli got on me for uh, for cheering. It wasn't really a cheer. It was a, uh, come on, guys. But, you know, <laughs> I just want to see some good hockey. And I'd like to see that the uh, the hometown team, you know, is, is going to, meet the the energy but quite frankly I, I feel like Wells Fargo Center has been dead in practically every game. I don't feel home ice advantage. I have to imagine and and we've heard it elsewhere that there are other arenas in the NHL that do a much better job of of you know putting together some kind of home ice advantage and I don't know if it's that fans have just kind of resigned themselves to the fact that this team is mediocre and that because it continues to it continues to trot out a lot of the same guys, it trots out the same coaching staff that by the way includes Ian LaPerriere, who's overseen three of the worst penalty kills in the last 5 years in the NHL and uh, a historically awful penalty kill thus far although it's a, a small sample size this year you know i don't know if you're a flyers fan like do you really want to go and spend the 120 bucks to sit in the lower level i'm not so sure like i don't blame these people for not coming I, I don't blame them if they've bought the season tickets and they're not showing up the team hasn't really given them anything to to come out and see you know like even to that end You know, we we have to admit, hockey's not a a top two sport in the country, right? Probably not even top three. It's a sport that you really have to fall in love with. And to that end, like a few weeks ago, and you'll laugh at this, but like a few weeks ago, Kevin Kincaid and I were really big on trying to tell people that, that weren't soccer fans that you know the union were playing in the US open cup final. They were playing really well, and if there was ever a time to watch them, it was it was that game. It was gonna be nationally televised, like get in and like maybe this would help you you know, find a reason to watch the union. They went out They went out and they absolutely got slaughtered by Houston. So kind of fast forward to the Flyers season here, they get on national TV, they get killed. I mean, absolutely brutalized. And when, you know, you're a, a fringe Philadelphia fan and, and you don't really watch the Flyers, you check in, you look at what their record is and decide if you want to go to a game or if you want to turn them on, like they're four and five. Like, why would you? You know what I mean? So I I feel like they're they're missing out on another opportunity here to to catch some of the fans uh, and catch some fringe fans and pull them in for the season. And it's it's just a mess. I feel like from top to bottom, this whole thing is a mess right now. It was almost as much of a mess as that stream of consciousness I just spewed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's
1: it's they're, they're, it's it's interesting because we've heard Brian Elliott say a few times. Use the word structure and tries to back out of it a couple times. But when, believe me, when a guy says that the team's lacking structure in front of him, it it is. He's not. He's he's looking at it and saying, "Geez, my numbers are going to look awful." And not that he's been good, great. I mean, he was he was really good the first couple games of the season. Kind of mediocre for a couple games. Not great against Florida. uh, Mediocre again, and I thought he was pretty good. Um, Monday against Colorado, uh, even though he, I mean, he allowed three goals, but you know one's a breakaway, one's a power play goal um, uh, that was pretty ugly uh, coverage. Uh, he made two big saves before the goal finally went in because nobody was defending anything. And then uh, one goal that was kind of meh. I mean, maybe he could have had it, maybe not, but still it was, again, a, a breakdown. Uh, if you looked at my story on Crossing Broad, there was a real – breakdown by four different players on that goal um so uh, you know when he's saying that it's mostly because he, he's recognizing that what's happening in front of him is not right um so anyway
0: well speaking of not right let's let's get off the uh the big team for a little bit and let's talk about a, a guy that plenty of fans were clamoring for at the beginning of the season hmm. and that of course was uh <laughs> Carter Hart who a lot of people thought should have been up with the team uh, perhaps even as the backup goalie before they decided to uh, finagle their way into getting uh Cal Pickard on the team Carter Hart's been bad I mean I don't know a better way to say it he has he's been suboptimal so far this season in the AHL he's played four games uh, he's got a 428 goals against average. That's a, uh, for those keeping track at home, that is a an 8.69 save percentage. Yeah, not good. I'm sorry, that, 8.65 uh, save percentage. and that's It's in the not a- good. That, that's in and the that's a- in the
1: AHL. AHL, right? So it's not even in the NHL. So what's the difference? Look, it's what we said. It's what we said. He's not, he's, yeah, you can dominate junior hockey all you want. And he's still going to be probably a good player and a really good goalie in the NHL in the future. But this is why you don't throw a 20-year-old goalie into the NHL. Because he w- if he's struggling in the AHL, what would he be doing in the, in the NHL, especially behind the crap defense that the Flyers have been playing in front of their goaltending to begin with? I mean, that's the thing. So um, my concern with Carter Hart, I, I don't have a problem with the fact that he's gotten off to a bad start. Look, it's only four games, and he's, it's his first taste of pro hockey. Um, he's gonna be yeah, he's gonna be fine. I, I'm not worried about that at all, I and mean, I'm not even worried about the statistics. It, really, it that means nothing to me right now. What bothers me is this. So he's one, two, and one in those four games. Okay, first game he plays, he actually wins. After the game, he's there talking to the media, and believe it or not, the Phantoms actually get some pretty good media coverage uh, for an AHL team. They have multiple. Uh, outlets that are there to to um, cover their games, which is pretty cool. Um, as someone who did used to cover the AHL and most nights was there by myself, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. But anyway, the gathered media covering the Phantoms talked to Carter Hart after his first game. He wins and he had some great things to say. After his second game, which was a loss, the team was t- uh, the media was told. Carter's not available after the game. Okay. Uh, you kind of sit there and say, well, why? I mean, you know, it's, you know he should be available. But okay, okay. It just happens one time. No big deal. The next game, he loses. He's not available to talk to the media again. All right. Now, now it's getting a little ridiculous. Okay. Uh, the next game, he loses in, I think it was a shootout. It was either overtime, but I think it was a shootout. Loses again. This time he's not the the, the media is not told he's not available, but Carter says, "Oh, I have some people here. I'll come back and talk to you guys after I go see them," and then he never comes back. I, I'm not sure if this is Carter Hart, if this is a Ron Hextall, um, you know, ordinance to kind of keep him sheltered a little bit from. Media coverage, I don't know what the story is. I, I, I have not been able to glean from anybody why it's happening. But it can't happen. And I, I'm not just saying that because, oh, my God, the media is getting screwed. It, no. It, I, don't, it, I don't care if he comes out and says nothing. The fact is is that you're hiding your young goalie after you're shielding him after he loses he needs to be able to face that that's not that's not a growth point for him to not have to answer for a bad game um so you know when he had a bad game when he played for team canada if he had a bad game which he never did really but i mean they they would have made him talk (laughs) right he would have had and you'd want to talk about media scrutiny like every writer in Canada, the entire country would would be at that tournament and asking him questions, not just you know three or four guys up at uh, Lehigh Valley. So it, it's not a it's not a good look. and I, again, I don't know who's making that call, but it's got to be rectified. He's got to be able to say, yeah, tonight wasn't a good game. He's gonna have that, you know that's part of growing up. it's part of becoming a a professional player is to be able to, you know, address the media after you have a bad game. I mean, they're going to praise you when you have a good game, and they're going to rip you when you have a bad game. You have to be able to talk about both.
0: I really hope he's been taking notes on how Brian Elliott's been handling himself with the media. I think, if nothing else, Elliott's been an awesome quote, and he's also just been a guy who game after game comes out and and really kind of faces the music to the media. And, and like, I'm not totally sure because I haven't been at it that long, um, but I, I have to think that that kind of thing plays well with the rest of the media crew. I don't think anybody's been overly critical of him in the questions they're asking. I think people are asking him fair things. And, you know, the the structure thing, I think, is the one thing that after the San Jose game that he let slip. And I don't think it played well with Hackstall. Um, because in, in the immediate aftermath, when we went out to um, Hackstall's press conference, somebody mentioned, I don't remember who it was, Somebody mentioned the fact that uh, Elliot had said that the structure wasn't wasn't good and it seemed to piss off Hackstall, to put it to put it lightly. I I'm in a spot right now where I, I feel like Elliot's gonna continue to be honest and I'm wondering if it's gonna get him benched. But at the same time, like I don't think that the option that they have behind him is any better. I'm honestly in a spot right now where I'm kind of wondering if the team is just treading water until Alex Lyon comes back.
1: No, it's not even and, that. Like,
0: no, if they know they can't rely on Noivère, why well, are we I, even? Like we can't talk about that. That's not well, even a possibility. He's, like, he's
1: out of. He's on a rehab assignment right now. He's playing at the moment as we're recording. He's playing for the Phantoms right now. Not Carter Hart. Not Alex Lyon. Not Anthony Stolarz. Michael Neuver is playing for the Phantoms in a rehab start, which tells you that they realize they need to get at least try and get him into games and see if he can stay
0: healthy. Spare um, me. That's what they're doing. It's I, this, no, is, I, this
1: is what's happening. Spare
0: me. I don't need this again. I don't need to see Michael Neuver go out there again. I really uh, don't. He's going to. He's going to roll his ankle like coming out of the locker room today. Okay? I, I'm gonna the guy's a pr- made a glass. I'm going to make a prediction. He plays Saturday. He might. He might, and honestly, Anthony, like, what good is it gonna do? This this defense has been so bad. You could have put, an in his prime, Patrick Waugh behind them, and I don't really know if it works. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's a little bit hyper, like a little bit hyperbolic, but still, like, <laughs> they the, they have not played fundamentally sound defense in front of any goalie. It hasn't happened. Like no, it, but the goalie and the goal, leaving like leaving the far post totally unattended, not checking a shoulder looking for any kind of a latecomer or anybody coming around the, the back of the net and just like watching the puck get deposited time after time, after time, it's been, it, it's been infuriating.
1: Yeah. Understandable. I, I get it. Which but, is what like, but again, the goalies- that's,
0: that's why it's good. that It's not Carter Hart because all you do is, is crush the kids. Yeah. I mean, you would crush his spirit. You would probably screw him up mentally. And then, of course, you get the fan base, you know, on him. You know, he's supposed to be the second coming. Why is why is this happening to us? Why can't we have nice things? Although, in fairness, if if fans were really checking in on Carter Hart's stats in the minors, they would uh, they'd obviously be alarmed. And yeah. it, it did happen. We've had multiple people on Twitter while we're at it uh, who have asked about Carter Hart. So go ahead, and, and then I'll come back to that.
1: Well, no, all I was going to say is is there is also this the goalies do have to, when, you know, they have to save the team sometimes. I mean, that's what they're there for. Um, you know, hockey is a game of mistakes, and so mistakes are going to happen. You just want to make them less frequently than your opponent. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that the goalie has to be able to, at some point, you know, make that big save for uh
0: He's got to pick up the psych for his defense. Yeah,
1: he does a little bit. I mean, not. I mean, you know, you can't blame him when they give up a goal because he's. You know, look I, again. I give you the first goal, the power play goal. He made two really good saves before they scored because nobody cleared anybody away. Nobody played the body. Nobody played the puck. They were Christian Fulham was throwing himself onto the ice for no apparent reason. Um, Provorov was caught watching the he paint saw that dry. Gritty,
0: he saw that gritty really uh, got a, <laughs> yeah. a good reaction from the crowd, and he thought, "Hey, I could do that too."
1: Yeah, Couturier was out of position.
0: I mean, there's a lot of a lot it's of fundamental things. things that are going wrong. Yeah, these aren't like huge things that need to get corrected. These are just mental lapses. The team, I, I I think the best way to put it is the the team just looks mentally out of it from the second they come out of the locker room. They actually, you know, a few of the guys were quoted. I think it was Haig was the one who I think gave the most revealing comment to that extent after the uh, the Colorado game. Just kind of that, you know, it's been a constant conversation is that they need to have better starts, but they they really need to pick it up. Like they need to match the intensity that they, they know they need to have in it. It's just not there. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you really want to hit? <laughs> is there anything that's like, I mean, I feel like we're just going to kind of go in circles about like the things that are going wrong. Like there's, like if we did a if we did a film breakdown right now, we would have so many things to go with and they're all just fundamentals. They're just it's stupid hockey. It's the best way to put it. It's it's just not fundamentally sound and they're playing like dweebazoids. I don't have a better way to put it.
1: Did you just say dweebazoids on this I show? I sure did.
0: Yes I did. Oh Russ. You just got us a three star review. Uh, I can do that on my own just for uh, for existing here. We do have a new five-star review. We'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, good. Can can I just say real quick, uh, the, the penalty kill has been a disaster.
1: Yeah, let's talk so, about it. You so, said, is there anything else? Here you go.
0: So, you wrote about it. Well, let's talk about the PK for a second because uh, it needs to get addressed. So the, the PK, I, I pulled the stats from the last five years, and I know that they're all small sample sizes. I get it. Uh, well, the, no, the, the eighteen full, the eighteen, nineteen season, but it's for
1: this season is a small but the other one you know, it's,
0: it's still it's still ten percent of your season. Give or take when I pulled the numbers. So, you know, be that as it may. if you look back at the last five years, if you were to take all teams uh in the last five years, and obviously that number's changed because of expansion, there are 152 penalty kills that you would rank. So that's every NHL team that has existed in the last five years if you took each season's penalty kill. so like, The 14-15 Flyers, the 15-16 Flyers, 16-17 Flyers, do that same thing for like the Devils and the Avalanche and whoever else, whatever. There were 152 penalty kills that that you can rank, right? Here are the rankings for the last five years for the Flyers. The 2014-15 Flyers finished or would have ranked 125 out of 152 penalty kills. That's awful. Dave Haxtell's first year as coach, they actually jumped up. Their penalty kill was much better. It was 85th out of 152 in the last five years so that that's actually the highest it's ever been under Hackstall. the next year it regressed uh the pk regressed down to them being 99th out of 152 penalty kills in the last five years last season so that's there's a, a big sample size last season they finished with such a low pk percentage they would have ranked 136 out of 152 teams but it gets worse because as of uh, going into the Colorado game, this year's penalty kill. I thought you which, did it. A, I thought you did it after the Colorado game. No, no, no. Game. It was okay. it was just because I didn't have the sets available to me when I finally posted it. Um, going into that game, they were ranked 150 out of 152 penalty kills. After the Colorado game, this is the thing I didn't put up. They actually dropped because they gave up a penalty they gave up a power play goal. Uh, Colorado went one for three. They actually dropped to one fifty one out of one fifty two. But it gets worse Anthony. Would you like me to get it worse? Go it gets ahead. worse. Yeah, With They yeah. currently sitting on a 68.8% penalty kill percentage in 1060 penalty kills. Uh so every single team from uh now all the way back to the 1977-1978 season when be, they began tracking penalty kill percentage. Your Philadelphia Flyers in the 2018-2019 season if we were to stack All 1,060 penalty kills that have existed in the last 37, or no, 31 years, your Philadelphia Flyers out of 1,060 penalty kills currently rank 1,057. They are the fourth worst penalty kill percentage since the stat has been tracked in the NHL.
1: That's 41 years, by the way.
0: 41. Oh, God, I said 31. You're right. 41 years of them tracking penalty kill percentage. They are the fourth worst penalty kill of all time. Small sample size I get, but 68.8% doesn't cut it. No, that's so, terrible. 688 so, is terrible. So speaking of cutting it, how has Ian Perrier not been cut from his role as the guy in charge of the penalty kill? Again, over the last three seasons, 99th, 136th, 150th. Yeah. That doesn't cut it.
1: It's a, it's a good, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Um. I, again, I think it's it, it, this reverts back to the oversight thing, Russ. I mean, Ron Hextall is an incredibly patient general manager, so he's not changing anything with his coaching staff. And who's above Ron Hextall? We don't know. I mean, Paul Holmgren technically is the president, so, I mean, he would be the next guy up. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's under any pressure from Dave Scott who's the, you know, the Comcast guy who, you know, is the head of, is Paul's boss. I don't think he's getting any pressure from there to make a change. So it's really where we're at. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's no, it, it look, if you're, if you have a job and you're doing your job and you're making good money at your job and there's no oversight, you're going to get a little lazy, right? You, you might get, you might, you might get a little lazy, um, and that's that's kind of where what's happened here is that it's it's like a trickle down effect that yeah you know what i mean i i love lappy okay I, as a guy i mean great guy great human being um it's well known that i wrote the uh the uh nomination for him when he won the um the uh award uh the year he didn't even play <laughs> the master the masterton award um, for dedication to hockey. Um, so, I mean, that goes to show you, like, the relationship that I have with the guy um, and how I feel about the guy. That said, y- yeah. I mean, how does he have, how is he still in charge of the penalty kill? Look, if you, I understand you want to keep him on the team. You think there's value to him as a coach, like there's, he, th- that players do actually learn things from him. Okay, fine. But maybe you say, yeah, you're not in charge of the penalty kill anymore. At least that, at least that makes it, that change, wakes the players up and says, you know what? We're not doing something right. But the fact of the matter is, is that they just keep letting the same thing happen every game. And it's, it's like it's, you could almost feel it. I mean, you're in that building. You could almost feel it when they take a penalty. There's this feeling, feeling of dread that fills that building. Like, yeah, they're probably going to give up a goal here. Yep. <laughs> right? So uh, the players have to feel it. If we feel it up in the rafters, they have to feel it down on the ice. So, I mean, it's, it, it, there's no confidence in themselves to do that well. And if you really go back and look at that penalty kill and break it down into these nine-game chunks, like you say, well, nine is a small sample size, and it is. But I bet you if you did, and you, you know, you, we don't have time to do it right now, but maybe before the next re- time we record, if you go back and look – if you break them down season by season in chunks of nine games, and you can do that on HockeyReference.com, um, I would bet you that you don't have many, if any, nine-game stretches that are this bad. I, I'm serious, but that Russ. I mean, 68% is as po- really is really poor. Yep, it's really poor. I mean, if you go through the... What I'm saying is go through the fly... Not go through every team in the league, but just go through the flyers in the last five years, penalty kill, and do chunks of nine games and see if you can find something that's worse than 68%. I, I say it's
0: hard to find one that, that's, that's that bad. I'll have to pull it for next episode. Yeah. It seems like it's going uh, to be a lot of work. No. But I'll do it. I it's will do it, Anthony. I will it's do only, it for the it's, people. It's only five years worth of stuff. Okay. <laughs> do we have any positives um yeah the popcorn's good in the press box i've enjoyed the press box layout can i explain to the people what it looks like go ahead is that okay is that fair game get off the elevator so so take this take this trip with me ladies and gents you get off the elevator at the balcony you you walk straight forward and and you are greeted by some lovely security personnel you make a, a slight left and there is a soda machine there's coffee there's candy. The candy bar is fantastic. Got some M&Ms. I think they have the almond M&Ms. I've not ventured that that far yet. I usually um, go
1: Reese I usually go Reese's pieces. The
0: Reese's pieces, I you know what? I'm afraid to do Reese's pieces. I feel like my brain can't wrap my head around the fact that they're peanut butter and not chocolate and they I, my brain wants M&Ms and I give peanut butter and it doesn't work. Anyway, some M&Ms and then there's there's the popcorn. The popcorn johnski. Now, you forgot the Super Pretzels. Is, oh, you're right. There's Super Pretzels. Sorry. Don't leave those out. Super pretzels with two kinds of mustard, got the uh, spicy brown, the deli the deli brown, and you got the, uh, the nice French's yellow mustard, and then you got the popcorn. And every single game, I fill up a giant box of popcorn, I grab a little cup of M&Ms, and I usually go through about two cups of coffee while we're there. And every single time, I end up making a mess. Now, I clean up after myself. There is a reasonable mess that I think you're allowed to make if you're eating popcorn. Obviously, your hands are going to be a mess. There's butter. But I think it was the second home game that we were at. It looked like there was a murder scene of popcorn. It looked like somebody had been eating popcorn and then a sniper took me out from across the way. And it was because the box wasn't properly locked on the bottom. And I don't usually get that many looks from anybody. I think most people just kind of leave me alone. They don't know who I am and that's fine. But that was the night where a few people kind of looked over and there were some smirks. There were some uh, shocked faces and they're like, this guy's a slob. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there like, why am I getting all this popcorn all over myself? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not like reaching in and grabbing huge handfuls. Why do I keep losing a few pieces? And I, I flipped the box over uh, a little bit and saw that the whole bottom was out and it was awful. Anyway, press box is nice. Uh, the press people, people, fine. I have no problems yet. I have no real qualms. I did say on Crossing Broadcast that I, I find the fact that some people ask the same exact question to every single player and the coach who are made available after games is slightly annoying but what are you going to do right yeah
1: um are you going to address the uh suits thing here or are you going to wait for that and crossing broadcast you know what let's
0: let's address it now okay go ahead so I, i i get down to the first game and it was a dress down day at work so i'm wearing jeans right and i think i had jeans and a sweater and I said, you know what, Anthony? I need to know what you wear because I don't want to. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. Like, what are you gonna wear? And so we, you know, we color coordinated. It was great. That's not true. <laughs> so Anthony just goes, well, I'm I'm wearing jeans and I'm gonna wear a sweater. So that's fine. So we're gonna we're gonna look nice. So I don't want to sh- I don't want to like look like a schlub, and I don't want to slum it. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I know that some people are probably gonna wear khakis, maybe a button down, whatever. That that that's fine. I get into the the uh, the media dinner. And everybody's in a suit. I feel like I walked into Goodfellas. And then I see it. Well, they did have the carving station. That was nice. That has <laughs> nothing to do with uh, with Goodfellas or anything. But there was a nice carving station for the media dinner. And I, I enjoyed it very much. So thank you to that guy. But um everybody's in a suit. I'm like, and, and this is where I get kind of thrown off by the whole thing. We've been down at Voorhees. Nobody's dressed up. People are wearing jeans. Life is good. Everybody's acting like a normal human being. You get down to a game. Everybody's in a suit. So then, you know, because it's the first time, I'm like, I don't actually know what the press box looks like yet. I don't know what the setup is. I don't know. Are like, are we around fans? Like, is that why everybody's wearing a suit? No, you don't. You go from the, the, the ice level or basement level or whatever up to the press box. Eventually, you go back down to that bottom floor, go to the locker room, go to Hacksaw's press conference, go back up to the press box. Well, after everybody has emptied out of the arena, there's no fan interaction. Why is everybody wearing a suit? It bothers me. It's like is is everybody just trying to outclass each other I, 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 is it everybody needs to wear a suit in case they're on the camera and they can wave to their mom like I don't get it. I don't understand now I will wear sweaters, I might wear some button downs. I think I might wear a nice pair of slacks or khakis, but I'm not wearing a suit. I refuse unless the flyers tell me I need to in which case I will be happy to wear a suit. but for now, I will not wear a suit.
1: you don't have to. you'll never have to wear a suit. It's ridiculous the story just to kind of let you know why this happens is this is an old Canadian tradition and this is something that um, back in the old days when you know can it, it was um, uh, just the original six which by the way there was only two Canadian teams back then It was four American teams two Canadian teams but um, back then the, uh, the, the the what you used to do is you used to dress in a suit to cover games and that was I think more a professional thing i think being a member of the media back in the old days was you know shirt and tie or jacket and tie kind of thing i mean if you look at old baseball press box photos you see the same thing um so you know this is not this was not germane to hockey but it was a thing that was maintained once once the media kind of Became a little bit more casual in other sports. It maintained in hockey um, primarily because it was a thing that they did in Canada. Um, When the Flyers came into the NHL in the 60s, uh, Ed Snyder's goal was to make the Flyers like a Canadian team. So to make hockey as important in Philadelphia as it was in the Canadian cities. And he succeeded in that in so many ways. But the way, you know, one of the things was is that he had asked that the media covering the team uh, be dressed nicely. Um, and a lot of times that had to stem from if the media was traveling with the players, with the team, um, they wanted, you know, the team was always in suits, so they wanted the media, you know, to dress the same so it looked like everybody was kind of in sync with one another. So that was kind of a thing. And that never changed. Like that kind of, just continued, and so as new people would start covering the team, you would see that the older, you know, guys who were covering, oh, gee, they're wearing a suit. I must have to wear a suit, um, and that was pretty much for everybody. And you know, I started covering the team about eighteen years ago, and I'm like, I ain't wearing a suit. <laughs> just, I, I'm not wearing a suit. So I, I'm not saying that I was the only one or the first one. But I, I certainly maintained it for 18 years except with the exception of when I actually worked for the Flyers, they required that you wore a suit as a member, as an employee of the team. So I did wear it uh, for a couple of seasons there when I worked for the team. But um, as a member of the media, no, I, I never wore a suit for any reason whatsoever. The only time, I'll tell you, the only time I ever wore a suit um, was when I presented the, um, the award for uh, Uh, at the end of the season they give out all the team awards and they give out the um class guy award the yannick dupree award and it's usually a member of the um member of the beat uh, one of the beat writers goes out onto the ice and presents the award i did it twice no three times three times i did it once peter forsberg danny briere brian boucher so three times i've presented that award on the ice um so all three times i had to wear a suit for, for photo op but um, that's it I mean other than that um, I've always dressed down so much so it, it became such a running joke that Sean Tilger um, who is the uh, chief operating officer for, for the flyers at this point um, one year for Halloween dressed as me <laughs> and he, wore, he showed up in the press box in jeans and a button down and like uh, he had like a uh, he had the little press, uh, press pass on hanging around his neck and he had a, a little tape recorder and, uh, and a notepad. And yeah, he thought it was funny that he was me for Halloween. Um, so I mean, that's how, that's how, I guess many people noticed it, that I was like the one guy out of all the beat guys who was not, who would not wear a jacket and tie. Like I didn't feel the need for it. So anyway, that's the, that's the long winded story about, uh, about how that kind of came to be and why it still exists I guess in some
0: capacity. Are you ready for an iTunes review and a uh, an in addition of who's that flyer? Are we doing that first or are we getting uh questions from Twitter? You want some Twitter questions? Like use some Twitter questions? That's fine. Um dun- 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 Twitter questions. Here we go. Joe Stringer, three questions. Oh, I don't know if we'd go with this. No, I'm sorry. Oh, his avatar looks like another guy's. Okay, never mind. Joe Stringer has one question. Who's in charge of Hextall? Who is above him to step in and say we need a change? I feel like there is no one around to hold him accountable.
1: Yeah, I mean... Kind of answered that. Yeah, sort of just answered that. Um, uh, The, uh, da- you know, Paul Holmgren is the direct boss for Ron Hextall. And then Paul Holmgren's boss is Dave Scott, who would technically be the... Former Ed Snyder role obviously doesn't have as much of a personal investment in the Flyers that uh, Ed Snyder did. Ergo, I don't think that they're unless unless they're seeing uh, something affect the bottom line. I don't think that you're really going to have Dave Scott intervene with what's going on on the ice because he's not a hockey guy. And so that's the that's part of the problem. Um, so anyway,
0: okay. Oh, that's by the one way question. yeah
1: by the way before we go on to the next question um, just a update since we mentioned it earlier uh, that phantoms game is now officially over the phantoms did win uh, 7 to 3 michael Neuver,
0: 31 saves 34 shots face. so 3 at you michael, michael Neuver. Ones. wow yeah anyway that's yeah, exciting ahead, here, he, here he here he comes michael Neuver, back to give you mediocre play and goal okay um I.W. Johnson had two questions. The Flyers defensively have been bad. One spot I've noticed is Provorov. Am I the only one seeing this? I love him. He's a player. But the season is so far off. Is he injured? I don't think
1: he's injured. I I don't. Um, I, you know, asked a couple people and they've said no. Um, I I think this is, it's interesting. Like, I... was it you that said he's fi- he's finally hitting his sophomore slump in his third yes, season? I think I said it to you in the uh, in the yeah. in the box. Yeah, um, I, I it might be. It just might be. Might have just kind of hit a little bit of a wall, and uh, he's got to get through it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was better against Colorado. I, he didn't have a bad game against Colorado. I mean, he didn't have a great game, but he didn't have a bad game. So, like, I look at that as progress. Um, We'll see. We'll see if he can start stringing a few together and, and get back to being the player that he was. I'm I'm not worried. I think he will get there. But certainly uh, a good portion of the problem with the Flyers so far in nine games has been the fact that Ivan Provorov has not been himself.
0: Okay. Um, next question. Dun, 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 dun. Steve Appleman says, what's going on with the power play? I saw the Flyers were one of the top, were one of the tops in the league at drawing minor penalties, but can't seem to really cash in on their opportunities. Is it just the setup or just bad luck that will eventually turn around?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're one for their last 14, which is not a great, you know, number, but, you know, power plays go through stretches like that all the time. I thought that they were actually pretty good for the you know before this one for fourteen. I, I thought that they were really solid. I thought they've even had a number of shifts, even in the last few games, um, where they've had good pressure just didn't score. Um, I, I thought against Colorado, or actually go back to the Devils game, the number one unit in the last two games has been a little stagnant, um, a little predictable, maybe. Ah, uh, the number two unit's been a lot better. Um, they scored. Konechny scored a goal for them against the Devils. It was the first time the power, uh, the number two power play scored for them, um, and uh, so they've been a little bit more creative than the top unit. But that top unit, I think, has has gotten to a point where they're you kind of ex, you know know what's coming with them. So unless either Voracek or Giroux makes like this brilliant you know unbelievable pass to set somebody up for a goal, um, we're not really seeing. Uh, seeing the production out of them right now but I they've gone through this before and have adjusted and fixed it I, I think it's a good power play
0: and I think it'll be fine all right iTunes review and then we'll do who's that flyer okay. uh, by the way it's a uh, it's two players so get your get your mind ready for that oh boy all right so uh, iTunes review five star review thank you so much to uh, Darren Warwick band staff best insight into flyers and hockey five stars yes. First is a shout-out to Russ from Matt Tanalia and the Warwick Band staff. We're all big fans. I've been listening from the beginning, and this is the best insight I've received from any media outlet that covers the Flyers. Pat yourself on the back there, Anthony. Go ahead. Thank you. Get it. Thank you. Anthony provides a great balance between criticism and praise of the team. He knows when the team is underachieving and isn't afraid to let us know, but he also provides a proper analysis when the team is playing well. Russ provides a great voice as to what a fan of the team would be thinking and bounces that off of Anthony. The conversation that comes from that is second to none. Great work, Russ and Anthony, keep up the great work. Well, thank you, thank you, Darren of the Warwick Band Staff. Thank you so much. It's exciting. Oh, by the way, you, you want yeah. you want a positive? I mean, yeah.
1: since he points out we didn't have very many positives, but I, you know, we I did briefly mention Sanheim and Gutis. I think Travis Sanheim has really taken a leap forward from where he was last year.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, and and look, he still makes mistakes. I pointed one out and got killed for it on Twitter because he's playing well. Um, but he he still makes mistakes um, that that almost lead to goals or do lead to goals that he's got to fix. He's got to correct. He overcommits sometimes, um, uh, in the defensive zone to one side or the other. And then he gets caught out of position. And sometimes he stands up too far to the blue line. and gets caught flat footed. Um, those things will get corrected as the, the more he plays and the more minutes he plays. Um, and then on the offensive side, now you're starting to see the, uh, the good in his game on the offensive side, why he was a number, you know, a first round pick. Um, he still, though, tries to make plays sometimes that he shouldn't make, and it could lead to odd man rushes the other way. He's still got to be a little bit smarter about where he's passing the puck and when he's passing the puck when he kind of pinches down because he can't get caught deep, make a bad pass, and then you got a three-on-one the other way. There's still a couple things in his game that, that do need to get fixed, but he is a far better defenseman right now than he was even at the end of last year. So there's some positive for you.
0: Leave it to you to take a positive and then poop all over it. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for... <laughs> Go ahead. It would be you. It who's would that? be you who says that. It would be you who puts that down a negative. All right. Who's that flyer? It's actually a double edition. So mm. I mentioned the fact that the, the Flyers uh, PK would have ranked 1,057 out of 1,060 <laughs> penalty kills uh, in recorded history. The second worst Flyers team on the PK of all time um, was the 81-82 Flyers, who would have ranked 1,029 out of 1,060. So this question is based on the 1981-82 Philadelphia Flyers. Don't look it up. I won't. Who led the team in plus-minus, and who had the worst plus-minus on the 81-82 Flyers? wow um well that's that's
1: an era when scoring was like really outrageous um so uh geez who who was so you said who's the best and who's the worst is that what i gotta i gotta figure
0: out best and worst plus minus on the 81 82 flyers okay um one of the answers i think is pretty easy and then one one one's gonna be a little bit trickier
1: um If I had to go with the best, I would. I would probably still go, even though he was getting toward the end of his career. I would probably still go, with Bobby Clark.
0: Ding 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 ding. Yeah, okay. you got
1: either of the two. Yeah, I, I that I figured that was the easier one. I mean, he. I know he scored. I don't know how many points he had that year, but I figured he probably scored a, a, enough that he was uh, got a good plus. Who was the worst?
0: Oh, jeez. Um. Here's why it's going to be hard. The guy only played six seasons in the NHL. Um, his first season was in 78-79. He technically ended his career in 83-84. He only played 12 games that season. He played once. The, the, those 12 games were for Edmonton. Played five seasons for the Flyers. Mm. Uh, in 81-82, he only put up 13 total points. He had five goals, eight assists.
1: Oh, well, that goes against what I was just going to say, Ben Wilson, but that's not right because nope. Ben Wilson put up points. Um,
0: ben Wilson finished 16th on the team in plus-minus that year with a plus-five. Okay. Uh, Glenn Cochrane? Glenn Cl- Cochrane is also incorrect. Uh, was he on that team? Yeah, he was fourth in plus-minus at plus-19. Oh, he was, he was good. He huh? was.
1: That Okay.
0: Um, if I give you initials, I- will it help? Uh, maybe T G T G T G.
1: Oh, um, uh, Tom Gourints. You look that up? No, yes, I did. You did.
0: <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. Well, ladies and gentlemen, times. Tom Gourints is correct. Anthony Sanfilippo, he nailed it. The uh, the I did not nail it. I you got to give me initials, and I got the wrong the first two. Well, times. you know what? The guy only played five. And five seasons and twelve games in a sixth. Yeah. So, Tom Gorans is correct. Tom Gorans and Bobby Clark. It's the only time you'll ever hear those guys mentioned together. All right. Anything yeah. else before we head out? No, I got I got nothing else. So, for those who are unaware, uh, this this weekend the Flyers are playing at home, one o'clock game on Saturday, and then they go out on a massive road trip. What is it? Yeah, next? Five, five games, five, five game, game road swing. Um, I don't know. Do we predict? until uh next next game what we think this uh this stretch is going to look like uh they've got they're, I, I, they're at Boston on Saturday I don't I don't no, I, sorry. I, I thir- they're, they're at th- Bo- sorry they're at Boston on Thursday Thursday yeah no I home against I the think... Islanders then at Anaheim at Kings at Sharks at Coyotes oof woof
1: uh I'll say they go 2-3 and 1 wow what are the, the two in those wins six games. Um, the Islanders who stink, and uh, I think they might win one of those. Th- uh, well, maybe Arizona. Okay. Um, or they they could they could win one of those California games. I mean, maybe they go three two and one. Um, uh, I don't think they beat San Jose because San Jose just we saw the we saw the disparity between those two teams on home opener. Um, Anaheim's a pretty good squad. The Kings have been playing terrible hockey, um, so that might be one they have an opportunity to steal. Um, and Arizona's better, but they're still not great. So I don't know. They, may, there's one in there that they win, one in there that they lose in overtime, and two losses. Uh, they won't beat Boston tomorrow, but they'll beat the Islanders on Saturday. So there's my there's two two three and one in the next six games. If I say they go one four
0: and one, how would that make I, you feel? Yeah, that, that's, not <laughs>
1: <I know. laughs> that's not good. I know that's not
0: good. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm looking at so. this and I'm not I'm not seeing uh, I'm not seeing a lot of, of reasons to be hopeful right now. I'm not is trying two, to be a downer. Is, is really two, three, not. and one hopeful? It's it's
1: losing. Yeah, I mean, four I, out of six. well, it's,
0: it's a it's a West Coast swing. I don't I don't I'm think it, How often does how often do you go out west and come back with a winning record? Honestly, they did it last year. I yeah, think, they as did. a matter of fact, I think it was later in yeah. the season, right? But yeah, with the injuries they have right now, and the fact that they're still shuffling, and the fact that the defense is so bad, like, I, I just don't know. I really don't. I'm uh, upset. No,
1: we'll see. Look, I'm the optimistic one. <laughs> take note of that people wow. on twitter
0: wow <laughs> what has happened the flyers yeah. are the only team that could they could make this reversal of fortune anyway go check out the uh, other shows on the crossing broad podcast network including crossing broadcast crossed up a Philly's podcast you're obviously checking out snow the goalie if you haven't subscribed yet make sure you hit the subscribe button that helps us also get to a computer or an iphone or something that you can leave a review on itunes slash apple podcasts leave us a five-star review and a rating Uh, it really does help us quite a bit. The, uh, the review part of it is also nice because if you write one out, we will read it on the show. Love us or hate us, leave us a five-star review and we'll read it on the next episode. Um, go check out crossing broad FC and it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Those are all the shows that we have on the crossing broad podcast network. So until next time, which will be sometime next week for Anthony at, and San Philly, I'm Russ at joy on broad. Don't forget. If you don't follow us on Twitter yet, make sure you go do that because, uh, we're around. We're around during intermissions. We're there before the game, and if uh, there's a question that you really have, that is, uh, you know, really pressing throughout the game, just uh, let us know. Maybe if oh we...
1: We, yeah, we we might have something cool that we're going to start doing. Yes, right we are. we we'll trying about to later.
0: finalize that. So, assuming that we're able to do the yeah. cool thing, we'll uh, we'll announce that on the next show if we don't announce it on Twitter first. So, anyway, for Anthony, I'm Russ, and uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. It, the uh, links are in the description. All you have to do is click on it, and then you just hit follow. It's pretty nice. And, uh, you know, anyway, we uh, will see you next week.